Hebrews, verse by verse, the new and living way. This is part 37. And the title this morning is, uh, is Brian Zahn Wright, Were All Those Old Testament Sacrifices a Violent, Mistaken Understanding of God? The text we're looking at is Hebrews 10. We're going to read five verses, six verses, five through ten. Tonight we'll be back in Revelation, continuing on, uh, is there going to be a secret rapture of the church before the tribulation? We'll be studying that tonight. Study notes for everybody. Baptism tonight in the service. Number of people being baptized. Hebrews 10, 5. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. Let's pray. Your word is, is precious, and your word is the most important thing we will give our minds to all week. There is nothing to which we will give attention this week that even comes close in capacity for changing our lives than the attention we give to your word. And so we're grateful that you come and aid in this. It's so important we're not left to ourselves. And uh, open up our hearts. The entrance of your word gives light. Not, not just the hearing, but the entrance of your word. Let it go to the core of our hearts this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just be honest. I don't imagine anyone reads the old covenant sacrificial record with a sense of inward delight. When you're working through your Bible reading and you come to Leviticus and you read all that stuff, it all smacks of I don't know, occultish kind of bloodletting. The violence and suffering doesn't sit well. Chapter after chapter, repeating God's emphasis on the importance of the, quotes shedding of blood. It seems so contradictory to Jesus telling his followers just to turn the other cheek and love people when they wrong you. All this to say I'm, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised at the 
abundance of modern writers trying to sort of bleach the bloodshed from our Bibles. Old Covenant sacrifices, I mean, they seem to fit in better in a world of witch doctors and snake handlers. They'll never mark it well in a world where tolerance and live and let live are sort of the new standards of godlike character. Tolerance equals godliness. That's our culture. And so, if you haven't noticed, the anti-wrath movement is the new trend. It has many contemporary writers and theologians all lined up like ducks in a row. They're all in exactly the same theological box. They're saying exactly the same thing. I only chose Brian Zahn's comments in his book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. I chose it, but similar words can be found in dozens. That's not an exaggeration. Dozens of contemporary church leaders and Christian authors. Zahn says, Does God require animal sacrifice? The priests and the Levites say yes, and that's what we find in the Torah. But eventually, the psalmists and the prophets, they begin to challenge this. David says, Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Remember those verses for later. Zond continues, In this psalm, David brashly contradicts the Torah's unambiguous laws requiring animal sacrifice. Later, Hosea claims that God doesn't want sacrifice, but mercy. He continues, The Bible itself is on a quest to discover the word of God. The Old Testament begins with a primitive assumption that God requires ritual sacrifice, but eventually moves away from that position. It seems obvious that we should accept that as Israel was in the process of receiving revelation from Yahweh, some unavoidable assumptions were made. One of the assumptions was that Yahweh shared the violent attributes of other deities worshipped in the ancient Near East. These assumptions were inevitable, but they were, they were wrong. Just to be clear. Zond is saying that these Old Testament priests and prophets and leaders, they thought they were receiving the instruction for these animal sacrifices from God, but they weren't. They were merely copying the idolatrous pagan nations around them, and those nations had these monstrous ideas that the gods demanded violent, bloody sacrifices to keep them happy. And so Israel just copied these people. It's all an honest mistake. Problem solved. Pull a verse or two from the Psalms. Yank one in from Hosea, and it's all perfectly clear. All those scores of entire chapters describing and commanding those sacrifices, well, just a mistake. So here's the striking feature in today's text. Our writer of Hebrews actually quotes 
the exact same verses from Psalm 40, the exact same verses that Brian Zahn uses in his quote to explain away the sacrificial system. But with one important difference. Our writer in Hebrews, he explains the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of those divinely commanded sacrifices, rather than just recklessly and ignorantly writing them off as, well, it was just a mistake. So in short, our text today, inspired by the Spirit of God himself, our New Covenant text, brilliantly describes the divine purpose in both the Old Covenant sacrifices and the replacement of those sacrifices with that of Christ himself on the cross. That's where we're going this morning. Point number one. Our writer in Hebrews has been careful to remind his audience of Jewish believers. Remember, he writes to these Jewish Christians, believers in Christ, who are being intimidated, um, threatened, uh, argued back under the old covenant sacrificial system by their Jewish friends and families and religious leaders. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them, don't, don't do that. There's no point in going back to the old covenant. It's done. So our writer has been careful to remind his audience of Jewish believers that all of the Old Covenant sacrifices, while powerless to cleanse, were still commanded by God. He, he does that in two different places. Notice the use of a couple words here. For since, and I want you to see this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, what's it? It's this, right? Oops. It's, it's that. It's the law. Now, I, they said there's supposed to be a way to fix that. But I don't know what it is. So the law. He's talking about the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of those realities. It, the law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. My only point there is these sacrifices that he's talking about, he describes as a law, right? Okay, good. Look at verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. And he interrupts himself. See it again? These sacrifices are off according to the law. So please notice this part here in, in the parentheses. Those words aren't quoted from the psalmist. That's why they're in parentheses in many translations like the ESV. So in other words, we're meant to see our, our writer of Hebrews editing and affirming and reminding his readers that these sacrifices were part of God's revealed law. 
They weren't a mistake. That's my point. The question we need to ask, okay, so what, what law, what law is our writer in Hebrews talking about? Well, fortunately, we, we don't have to guess. He tells us. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood, here it is, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that who commanded? That God commanded. So the law that he was talking about in those two previous verses, he tells us it's the law given by Moses. And if that weren't clear enough, you just can't miss this. Our, our writer is careful to include Moses' explanation of where he got the law. This is the blood of the covenant, verse 20, that God commanded. That's what Moses said. I'm sorry. I get angered. I get angered at the blatant arrogance of ministers standing for God in front of congregations and waving their little fingers and saying, these words are just a mistake. The inspired text may say God commanded this, but I find that unacceptable, therefore those words don't count. That drives me nuts. Go sell life insurance or something. Get out of the pulpit. Sorry. True enough. True enough. I'm not arguing that there were pagan sacrifices offered by the Gentile nations all around Israel. There are references aplenty to Sacrifices offered to Baal and child sacrifices to the god Moloch. And there have always been, there have always been so many dark sacrifices offered. And no one should be surprised by that, to my mind. The, the conscience of fallen humanity is such that it will reach out to, in any way possible for relief. We all know, Christian, non-Christian, we all, we all know that any of us will be better off before any God if that God is somehow appeased. We don't want him angry. It's, it's the remnants of the image of God, though fallen, in every dark mind that we can't afford to have God mad at us. And so everywhere you have people offering these kind of sacrifices. That shouldn't surprise anybody. The point is, if you read your Old Testament, God repeatedly denounces those sacrifices. Israel was punished for even considering those sacrifices. No reader of the Old Testament could miss the clearly marked distinction between all these dark offerings offered ignorantly to all sorts of gods. Nobody could confuse that with the commanded sacrifices for his people by Moses as the law of God. But that makes some work for us. 
that these sacrifices were commanded by God, as we believe, and not just a cultural mistake, as Brian Zahn says. I think it's obvious to anybody with a Bible and an open mind. But, but the problem is, this makes our Hebrews text both more difficult and a lot more precious. So the question we want to look at in point number two is, how can these sacrifices be commanded by God and then ultimately rejected by God at the same time? This seems to be Brian Zahn's problem. His solution is you, you simply use one set of texts to cancel out the other. And I think the scriptures offer a more Christ-honoring explanation for this dilemma. Here's where we're going. A. The sacrifices were commanded by God to make plain that sin had to be judged as well as forgiven. That whole picture is rejected by Brian Zahn and a host of others. I dealt with it quite a bit last Sunday morning. But, but the biblical text is so clear at this point. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and then Romans 3.26. So without the shedding of blood... So these are put together. Shedding of blood, one... And the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's two. And and what we're asking is, what what does what does one have to do with two? If your neighbor does something to you and hurts you in some way, wrongs you in some way, and he comes and you're a Christian and he asks you for forgiveness. Do you say to him, yes, I'll forgive you. By the way, come here, I want to cut off two of your fingers. Right? You don't, you don't do that. You just, you just forgive. We studied that last Sunday morning in detail, why, why God can't forgive that way. I'm, I'm not going to rehearse all that, but it's, it's online. There's, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Now, Paul gives an explanation for that. It was to show his... Jesus came and died on the cross okay, for our sins. That's what Paul's talking about. And strangely, he doesn't say it was to show his love. I mean, that's true. God so loved the world, right, that he gave his own... But that's not where Paul goes. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be... Just, this is God, this has nothing to do with us. God might be just, and the justifier, that's the part that reaches us, of the one who has faith in Jesus. That God is a forgiver of sinners through faith in Jesus. It's easy for Brian Zahn to see that, to agree with that. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Just forgive but how the death of God the Son makes God just. That God had to 
display sin as being not just forgiven, but being punished, that Brian Zahn eliminates from the gospel. And that's why it's another gospel. B, the sacrifices were rejected by God when they were treated as though they alone could produce a righteous standing before a holy God. We know that doesn't work. Our text says it's impossible. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But all through the Old Testament, you have God's people repeatedly treating those sacrifices as though they in themselves could produce a righteous standing before God. God repeatedly denounced the very sacrifices he commanded when they were used superstitiously, as though they in themselves could produce a righteous standing before God. This is, this is behind that famous text, Samuel talking to Saul. Remember the story? Saul was supposed to go out and defeat the Amalekites and not and kill all the livestock and all the sheep and everything else. And Saul comes back. I'm, I mean, I'm shortening. Saul comes back. Samuel says, so did you do it? And he says, absolutely. Did exactly what God said. Samuel says, how come I hear sheep bleeding? Dead sheep don't bleed. Saul says, well, I kept some of them. And he's trying to, he's trying to, see, I, I want to sacrifice to God. I'm just thankful so thankful for God's blessing, Samuel. And, and I just felt like if we brought back the livestock, we could offer it as a sacrifice. Didn't God command the sacrifices, Samuel? Yes, he did. He did. Wow. I'm just, I'm just obeying the Lord. Samuel. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For as rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Why? I'm offering sacrifices. You, you can't use sacrifices to cover up disobedience to the Lord. Same Isaiah, the same idea, I'm not taking the time, it's conveyed in Isaiah 1, 10 to 17. It's conveyed in Psalm 57 to 18. So sacrifices can't be used like a lucky rabbit's foot. As though they just magically canceled out and justified continued disobedience and carelessness before the Lord. But there's one more key revelation on the limitation of the old covenant sacrificial system. C. God never intended the old covenant sacrificial system to effect a change in the heart of the one bringing it. And those who had eyes to see it always recognize that limitation. This is, this is what's dealt with in the first three verses of our text this morning. 
For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form, it, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. This is exactly the principle King David grasped in those oft-quoted words. After his sin, he puts together this confession. Don't forget, David puts together this public confession to be used in leading the worship of the people of God. It's in front of everybody. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. God, what are you looking for? Well, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He says broken twice, doesn't he? A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David, David knows David knows all the sacrifices in the world, all of the sacrifices commanded by God himself as a reminder of sins, to show that a payment would be needed for sins, to show that substitution one day would be made for sins, all of those lessons, that's why God commanded the sacrifices. But David knew that none of those sacrifices in themselves could produce a heart for God, not the heart David longed for, So, here we are. Are these these sacrifices commanded by God, or are they rejected by God? And the answer is, yes. Yes. The sacrifices are commanded by God, appointed by God, for prefiguring the twin principles of judgment and substitution. But the same sacrifices are rejected by God when they're misused as if they accomplished redemption in themselves. These commanded, these God-commanded sacrifices are denounced by God when they're used, when they cease to point for their Fulfillment and they become ends in themselves. See, that seems confusing to me, Pastor Don. God commanding something and rejecting it. It shouldn't. There are lots of examples of this in the Bible. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The writer says, If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. James, faith without works, it's dead, useless. So you have Jesus, you have the Apostle Paul, you have all of the epistles. The the New Testament creaks under the weight of these commandments to, to obey the Lord and do good works and walk in holiness. God commands those kinds of works. But if you try and use those works 
to be justified. God hates those works. Right? You can't be justified by works. If, if, if you use something God commands for an end which he didn't ordain, it won't work. So does God command works or does he reject works? Yes. Yes. As the fruit of being justified by grace, not by works, Paul says, lest anyone should boast. It's not by works. Same epistle, do good works. There were foreordained for you to walk in them. Which is it, Paul? Well, it's both. It's exactly the same thing with those sacrifices. They're useful. They're useful as a reminder that I keep coming every year with the same sacrifice and I keep making the same mistakes and this is not changing my heart. And God says, exactly. It doesn't seem fair that I'm the one committing the sin. This stupid little lamb, he didn't do anything. It's like, why is he suffering in my place? And God says, exactly. Are the sacrifices commanded by God? Absolutely. They have a beautiful function. They're different from the sacrifices that God denounces of all the surrounding nations to their pagan gods. But if you try and use those sacrifices, Saul, I did obey the Lord, pretty much. Here's here's some sacrifices. I don't want those. You, You don't get what the sacrifice is all about. Am I making this clear? Do you see what I'm saying? Three. We're almost done. And this to me is the precious part. Our text clearly states both when and why these old covenant sacrifices would be replaced. Hebrews 10, 8 to 10. When he said the above, quote, now we're quoting the psalmist, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, even though, bracket, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, this is in the same messianic psalm, and it's words that are placed in the mouth of God the Son before coming into this world at Christmas. This is what really... This is what really happened the night before Christmas. Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. What's the first? Well, it's those, that old covenant sacrifice, the legal sacrificial system. He does away with the first in order, it seems like there's a design here, doesn't it? In order to establish... The second. And by that will, that's this one, I have come to do your will. God the Son speaking. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, Stay with me just for about another 
seven minutes. Think back to one particular portion of Brian Zahn's best-selling earlier quote, where he says, the Old Testament begins with a primitive assumption that God requires ritual sacrifice, but eventually, here's the words, moves away from that position. Seriously. The Old Testament just moves away from those covenant sacrifices. But, but is that even in the ballpark of what the scriptures teach? And I'm saying, no, it's, it's not even close. There's, there's something more precious and more important happening than just the Old Testament kind of saying, well, we, we thought this is what God required, but I guess we messed that up. He really never did. Look carefully again at verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 10. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, although these were all according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So, first things first. There are three he's in these verses. We need to know who this is. He, he, and he. You back up the verses just a little bit, and you'll find that the he is the same messianic he Referenced in Psalm 40, verses 6, 7, and 8. The he is God the Son at the point of his incarnation. That's who the speaker is. Right now, just notice that those old covenant sacrifices aren't something that, in Brian Zahn's words, the biblical witness just kind of mysteriously moves away from. Our writer says something quite different. He, he wants us to know the text doesn't just move away from those sacrifices. They're done away with. That's different, isn't it? They're done away with. Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Okay, now let's start putting these pieces together. Christ does away with the old legal, sacrificial covenant. And he does it with the coming of his own body, a baby, but a body. He does it with his own body prepared for sacrifice. And this is done because the divinely commanded purpose of those old covenant sacrifices was, was completed and fulfilled in Christ himself and his death for our sins. Always remember there was a divine purpose in the removal of those sacrifices. Let me, let me try and make that clear. There's a purpose in the removal of those sacrifices. It's not something they just move away from. Here's how the Old Testament works. It's all centered around Jesus, okay? And so here's, here's what it does. Before the coming of Christ, 
right back from Genesis. The bruising of the heel, the crushing of the head. Remember that prophecy? Right back in Genesis and through every book in the Old Testament, Psalms included, the prophets, you get all these promises and predictions about the coming of Jesus. Agreed? It's all through the Old Testament. All these promises and predictions about the coming of Jesus. The idea being, God in his grace wants to make it easier for people to recognize Jesus when he comes. After Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, God does away with all those old covenant sacrifices. But for the same reason as the promises. The promises point to Christ. The promises get everybody ready for Christ. Then the sacrificial system is done away so no one, no one can make the mistake of just continuing to offer sacrifices. Mistakenly thinking that they're still in play because they aren't in play anymore. So it's all the mercy of God. Promises to prepare the removal of the old covenant system so there's nothing to distract. But it all centers in Christ. It's all a revelation of his love. It's all a revelation of his mercy and his patience. Last point. This really is. Last page. Point number four. The nature and purpose of the prepared body for God the Son. Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. So I looked at the opening, if you've been following, and I looked at the closing verses. Now I'm back in the middle. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, is there a better Christmas text than that? He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body, a body you have prepared. This is what I want to talk about for me. In burnt offering and sin offering you have no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have... Come to do your will, O God, as it is. Jesus recognizes that it's, it's written in the book about him. So the bruised body of the Son was always the plan of Father God. That's the reason for the obvious contrast in the Father's different kind of pleasure in the two sacrificial systems. In, in, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, verse 6, the father took no pleasure. His son comes into the world, is baptized, getting ready for ministry. You hit this voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. No pleasure, well pleased. But what I want to wrap up with, I've rushed over this for years, and not seeing what I think you're supposed to see here. Maybe you have too. What about this body prepared by divine, divine plan? Have you ever wondered why this particular kind of human body, born of a virgin, so, so there are different ways of getting a body, right? 
we know from Genesis, here's how God made a body for Adam. He took dust, right? He took dust from the ground. He forms Adam out of the dust of the earth, breathes into him the breath of life. Adam has a body. Or think of the angels. The Bible doesn't tell us when, but we assume they are created beings. They aren't eternal. I don't imagine that God took dust from the earth and formed angels. I imagine, I don't know, I imagine God just spoke angels into existence like he spoke the rest of the creatures of the earth into existence, just just by command. Now he's preparing a body for his son. How would you do it? Why not form a body? I'm not being irreverent here. I'm just, why not form a body for the son? Or why not just speak and produce a divine body for the son? How many feel that should God have desired to do that, he could have? Let me see your hand. All right? It's carried. He could have. Why didn't he make the son's body the same way? And here, this is something new to me. Here's the precious reason for the body specifically prepared for the son. God intended the whole world, the whole world to see the actual physical link with the rest of fallen humanity, a genetic link with the rest of fallen humanity that would never have existed had he just formed a body out of the dust of the ground or spoken a body into existence for the son. Jesus is connected to you in all your sin, in all your failure, in all your shortcoming. God prepares a body for the son because he wants us to remember he is one of us. God with us. So that when he dies on the cross, he dies the same kind of death Don Horban dies. He rises from the grave, but it's an actual physical death. He dies representing me. He dies carrying my sin. That's, that's the blessedness of that sacrifice that Brian Zahn just wipes away with the stroke of a best-selling pen. Please, please, please. Never let any small-minded writer diminish the unmatched glory of the word made flesh to, za- to die our deserved punishment. And that's what all those old covenant sacrifices pictured. They didn't fulfill it. That's why God didn't take delight in them. They pictured it. And and anything else is another gospel. Anything else is another gospel. And the market is going to be flooded with other gospels, church. So love Jesus with all your heart and never quit using your brain. Everyone said? Let's pray.